In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammy and Sandy. Robert Farrington is our guest this week on Money Tales. When he was 16, Robert got a job at Target. As he headed off to college, he kept that job and continued to work his way up the store's leadership ladder. Robert decided to stick around after he graduated because the work was easy, fun, and paid well as he ultimately became store manager. Meanwhile, on the side, he created an online platform to help college students. Life was good until things took a turn when Robert's family values clashed with his job's demands requiring him to work weekends, holidays, including every Black Friday. Missing out on time with his young children wasn't aligning with what mattered most to him. That's when Robert made the unexpected move to turn his side hustle, initially meant to stay just that, into his full-time gig. Today, Robert is a millennial money expert and founder of thecollegeinvestor.com. He is on a mission to help millennials get out of student loan debt, and start building wealth for their future. He also helps parents make smart choices about college financing options and navigating the complex world of paying for school. Here are three key money topics Robert hits on in this conversation. First, how he uses his financial goals as a motivator. Robert continually asks himself, how am I going to earn what I need to achieve this goal? Second, how everything Robert learned about money as a child still holds true today. As he tells us, the math is the math and very straightforward. It's the behavior and psychology of money that impacts your relationship with it. And third, what it was like to be judged by others for working at Target. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Robert Farrington. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Cami, as I've shared on Money Tales before, my team at Experient Planning Strategy and Research likes to learn together. And every quarter we read a new book. We're currently reading The Good Life by Bob Waldinger and Mark Schultz. It's a bestseller, so you might be familiar with it and listeners might be familiar too. It's based on a study that's been done at Harvard going back to the 30s, examining hundreds of people in the study who've been track their whole lifetime. And the whole question is, what makes people have a good life? Spoiler alert, it's not money. It's (laughs) not career, ambition, and achievements. It is relationships, the quality of relationships. It's a really fascinating read, but there's a thought experiment that they talk about in the book that got me thinking. The thought experiment is as follows. Imagine if when you were born, you were given all the money that you would ever have during your lifetime. 
And that during your lifetime, you had to use that money to fund everything. Sending an email, (laughs) buying something at the store. You're funding things that you spend money on today and then also things that are quote unquote free. And the thought experiment is, would that cause you to live your life differently? So I've been thinking about this for the last week or so. What do you think, Sandy? What's your thought? It's fascinating because in the work we do with clients, we're helping them plan their financial future. We're looking at the assets and the liabilities that they have today, their sources of cash, their uses of cash, and we're projecting them out into the future. We have some details available today and we make some projections. In this thought experiment, you have all those numbers up front. You start with your total resources, so you know that. But you don't know how long you're living. And that's one of the biggest great unknowns. And you have to pay for just about everything in this thought experiment. What I was thinking was maybe this thought experiment allows you to realize that there are things you can do with money to live a more satisfying life that don't involve buying things. You could collude with other people, do that more, put more money in the pot to do things together and enrich those relationships. When you brought it up, I immediately went to freshman year in college when my folks gave me my spending money for the semester. And it was a hard thing for me to think through because I hadn't been budgeting prior to that. I didn't know what the expenses should be. Maybe I was a little bit frivolous up front, (laughs) which I was, (laughs) had a little bit fun, and then found out, oh, this is running out pretty quickly. That's a good analogy, actually, a good comparison. So it is such an interesting, and then you get to prioritize you're going too fast, you're going too slow, and you have to check in. It's really fun. Hopefully, as you're doing that check-in, you're thinking about what's most important to you during this time, what your values are, what gives you the most thrill, and what your mission is. Just another way to think about that. And I appreciate you sharing that experience, Kimmy. I think that's a really good example of this thought experiment in action. Maybe our guest today has thought about this or will share his perspective. I'd like to welcome Robert Farrington to the Money Tales podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Cammie and Sandy. This is great. Oh my God, you telling that story right now of your college budgeting, it brought me back so many memories as well. I'm the founder of The College Investor, which ties in very closely (laughs) to that because I love teaching young adults about money. And a lot of it comes from my own experiences and why I even started The College Investor. I started this because I wanted to join the college investing club at my college. I went to the first meeting, right? Because they give you pizza and you're at like the quad of your school. Everyone there was talking about day trading stocks, literally day trading the whole time. And it's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And I was like, guys, like we just go to the casino. None of this actually has to do with investing in the least. And so I didn't really like go to much of those meetings because it really wasn't my jam. And I really wanted to share my thoughts on how you should invest for the long term, but also how you should earn money. So my mindset wasn't like a strict budget. I always believe I'm a big fan of earning more, not necessarily spending less. And so the premise when I first started was, let's talk about how I was earning money in college and side hustling and trying to get this extra money and then how I was taking it And using the little bit of extra I had, because of course we had fun and did some silly things. But, you know, I had some extra and then I would invest it. 
And then you'd get things like dividends. And it was like the coolest feeling in the whole world when you're like 20 years old. And it's like, I made a dollar twenty on this investment for doing nothing. For doing nothing. Yeah, that's great. That's really how I started. But I just love these college memories. Man, that was a long time ago, but it doesn't feel like a long time ago. And we learned so much. Would you share some more about yourself, especially a couple pivotal moments that really influenced who you are today? I was always the side hustler, entrepreneurial child. When I was in middle school, I was selling candy bars out of my backpack to try to get that extra money. I knew you. (laughs) My parents were very big on, they wouldn't like hold me back from anything, but they wouldn't give me money to do things. I remember in middle school, why was I selling the candy bars? Well, I wanted to rent the video game. And they were like, I'll take you to Blockbuster and we can rent that video game, but you got to come up with the $5 or whatever it was to pay for it. And so I would sell candy bars, get my $5, make it to the weekend, go to Blockbuster, rent that video game. And so that was always kind of my mindset growing up. Started working at 16 again. My mom was very nice. She bought me a truck when I was 16. I mean, it was the oldest truck. It probably cost a couple thousand dollars, big dent in the door, door barely closed. And she's like, this is for you. Happy birthday. But if you want gas and insurance and all these other things, you better go get a job. And she's like, I'll take you to the mall. I'll drop you off. Call me when you get a job. And so that's (laughs) how I got my first job, which actually ended up continuing with me for 16 years. I had the assistance from my family. They also made me work for anything beyond the bare minimum, which I think is very important. That's great. So you were learning from your folks If you want something, they might support you a little bit, but you got to go out there and do the work. What was the feeling at that time around money? Were you always this feeling like I got to earn more for my things? Or did you find it really an opportunity to keep spending? Or how did you think about money back then? I felt it to be empowering because I learned from an early age that you could go out and earn it. Maybe it wasn't ideal, but it's like, I want $100. How could I get said $100? And I still have that mindset today. What do we need to do? How are we going to earn it? What do we need to sell? Can I make something? Can I work it? Can I put the hours in to do it? Maybe it's not a lot of money, but like I kind of always set a goal. And I remember when I was in high school, it was all silly stuff. I want to get speakers from my car or, you know, I want to go to the movies with my friends. There were finite goals that were much lower, but it's like, okay. I need to go work and this week I can get to like a $300 paycheck and, you know, I'm going to only keep two thirds of it, but like, okay, out of my $200, I can spend $100 on speakers and who knows. And so I was very goal oriented. How could I go and earn it was my mindset then and it kind of carries through to now. Robert, with that background, I'm curious, what brought you to that investment club on campus? Investing requires a shift because it's not about bringing money in and spending money. It's about taking some of the money that you've brought in and growing it for the future. Absolutely. So some of my other early memories was my dad was very big on Quicken and diligently updating his check register. I just remember this as a kid and he had this old 1990s big computer screen and it was all manual work. And I'd just be playing on the ground of his office at the house and he'd be there and he'd be updating it. And I'd be just asking him questions, right? And he'd be kind of sharing what's going on and whatnot. And he had these statements. They were like his investment statements. And he'd say like, oh, you know, you have this and look, it can earn. He's very big on the dividends. You own a stock, 
just for being a shareholder of this company, like they will pay you a percentage of their earnings. And so for doing nothing, you could get paid. And you know, when you're a kid, that's like, what? (laughs) The dollar signs in your eyes just as you're speaking. (laughs) Exactly. Like you mean all I have to do is nothing, put money into this thing and they will give me more money. And of course, it's a lot more complicated than that. But you know, when you're a young adult, that's pretty cool. So he's planting seeds for you at that time. Absolutely. I didn't know it, but I think it was very important for me to understand that. So as I started working, I was always trying to take a little bit of that extra money and I was like investing it. And for good or bad, by the time you know I was 18, I had a little bit of money invested and I was buying individual stocks. And I remember I had some amazing investment picks, probably for the worst at this point in time. But when I thought it, I was like, oh man, I like 5X my money on like a stock one time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. And so I was really passionate about investing because I was like, I could take my money from work, I could buy some of the things I wanted, and I could put some of this money into things and it would grow and I didn't have to do any of this stuff. And that was really fun to see that money starting to grow, which I will also chime in that probably within the year, I lost a lot of it too, because you know your wins do not go out. Past performance isn't indicative of future <laughs> So that's why I also say like huge wins early on is probably not the greatest. But on the flip side, it made me understand how I should start being investing. And I read a lot of things. This was earlier days of the internet, but like the Yahoo finances of the world and things like that. And it's like, oh, okay, there's a way to do this where it's not so speculative and you can really start building wealth. And I thought that was also very cool. And of course, to get that dividend always felt fun. So you go to the investment club and you know enough at that time that what they're doing isn't investing. What'd you do next? Honestly, nothing. I just kept doing my own thing for a little bit. But by the time I was finishing college is when I started the college investor. And it was really the intersection of these multiple passions. I was always nerdy. I love the technology. So I was like, ooh, building the website's kind of cool. I wanted to share my thoughts on how I was taking extra money, working, and then putting that to investing. And then I wanted to share more investing advice that was more long term, like, let's just invest. What's an IRA? Basic things that young adults weren't really talking about at that time, at least. And so all those passions came together by the time I was finishing college. And that's when I started the College Investor to share these ideas. You said you got your first job and you held it for 16 years. While you're obviously doing your startup, say more about that. First off, I started working at Target. So when I was 16, I started working at a car attendant and as a cashier. And by the time I was in college, I ended up being like an hourly supervisor there. And so I did that all through college. I was still working 36, 40 hours a week while I was going to college. By the time I graduated, I became an assistant manager at Target. And then after a couple of years, I became a full store manager. And honestly, Target's a great company to work for. I felt that they pay pretty good, especially for a young adult. And... I found it to be very easy and fun. By the end, it wasn't as much of a money question as is like a comfort question. I found it to be an easy job. By the end, I was only working about 32 hours a week. I was getting paid well into the six figures. I just found it easy. But then it started becoming in conflict with life. So the only drawback I would say about retail and Target in general is even as a store manager, you still got to do those holidays. There's no getting out of Black Friday. So that sacrifices your Thanksgiving dinner. You got to put in that time leading into Christmas. You still have to work some nights and some weekends. And 
I started having my family, so my son and my daughter, and my value set, I said, and you could probably find it on podcasts and things I was on, is like, I value family. But on the flip side, here I am, and it started to become in conflict of, I say I value family, but my son was like probably six at the time. He's like, soccer games on Saturday, and you couldn't go to that. And it's like, why? Why are we still here at Target when we don't need the money from it any longer? And you have the other thing going with the college investor that gives you all that time flexibility. So that's what really ended up making me make the leap to leave it. It was very easy. And of course, you go through all this checklist of like, how do you do health insurance? And how do you get retirement? You learn that those are actually like, you just check the box. They're pretty easy to do. But you get those uh, mental hangups going through those scenarios in your head. So you were working full-time at Target, 32 hours a week, but still full-time. And you were doing the college investor on the side. You made a values-based decision to cut off Target and pour into college investor full-time. What did that feel like? You shared that it was in alignment with your goals. So that part felt good. But was there anything else lurking under the surface for you, Robert, at that time? The one thing you have to realize is I was earning more from the college investor for probably about three to four years before I made the leap. The monetary aspect of it was really eliminated by the time we did that. And my wife and I would even have conversations. What if the internet turns off tomorrow? Would we be okay financially? Like that would happen, but shoot, there's like that one in a million chance. I don't know. And so we really made sure to lock down our financial situation before we made the leap to kind of full-time entrepreneurship. And I know that's probably a, a more conservative approach than most, but it felt really good for us in terms of being able to do that paid off debt, as solid investments, being able to be as close to financially independent as you can. And of course, once I left Target, the business, of course, skyrocketed. So then you like look back in hindsight, well, if I'd done this like two years before, would we in a different spot? Maybe, but that's how the cookie crumbled for us. But we did have a lot of conversations about it and really trying to make sure that we got our finances in order in order to feel very comfortable making that full-time jump to entrepreneurship. Robert, do you and your wife today have money conversations? And if so, would you share with us how you approach the money conversations you have? All the time. It's a very big conversation in our household. And really, it's making sure that we're in alignment with everything. So I think a lot of our conversations today aren't necessarily about the nitty gritty budgeting. Mm, let's only spend $200 on groceries or whatever the number is. It's very much, where do we want to do with our money in the next couple of years? And so for us, it's having conversations like, are we good with our house and where our kids go to school? Or do we want to move to a different neighborhood in the next few years because our kids are going to be going to like a high school, for example? And do we have the ability and what should we do to make sure we could make a down payment and get to a house in an area that we want to do? So they're much more bigger goals today. We also try to give ourselves a lot of grace. We don't have to call ourselves for hundred or even a few hundred dollar money decisions. Like we trust each other. We do check in though. We share, you know, a budgeting app. She's a lot more diligent on the categorization of things and making sure that's all there. But we check, what'd you spend this on? Oh my God, we spent like $1,500 on food last month. This is crazy. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> like reevaluate our goals, what we're doing, what we did, and then where we want to go. And Robert, tell us about the conversations you guys are having with your children about money. However, you're modeling money for them. I imagine given 
the great financial parenting your parents did with you, you have some tricks up your sleeve. I do. But I mean, honestly, I think it's also a very hard question because I feel like we are in a better place for them than my parents were with me. And so it's like, how do I still instill a little bit of hunger to like want to do things? We try to do a lot of the similar stuff. They have to earn their spending money in order to like buy stuff. So my son's into the Pokemon thing right now. And if he wants to go buy these Pokemon cards, like he's got to earn it. So how could he earn the money? Well, we do things like recycling bottles and cans in our household. I'm a LaCroix addict. So I could probably go through an eight pack of LaCroix a day if I was allowed to. But like he could take all those cans, crunches them down and we go to our local recycling center. He gets that spending money and he can do that. But now he has a lot of cards and he's been watching... Pokemon influencers. And so he's like, can you help me sell these cards? And so I help him sell some stuff on eBay. And then he can flip cards and different things. And so I really want to instill a little bit of that entrepreneurship that you have to earn it. But it is more of a challenge because I do feel like they have more than I had as a kid. And so it's like, how do we keep them a little more hungry? You're not just dropping them at the mall and letting them fend for themselves. Someday we're going to make them go to work. Yeah, a little young for that maybe now. Exactly. Robert, what are you seeing has changed since you first started The College Investor to today? One of the things I've learned is that everything we learned about money, I learned in second grade. And I saw this with my son. Every skill set you need to handle your money, you have learned already. You know how to add, you know how to subtract. You can like understand what a baseline budget is. It's all behaviors. And it's all like in your mind. It's all overcoming these different things. And so that's the more interesting thing for me and my wife. And it's like, why do we do the things we do? And dealing with social pressures and influences and family. And the math is the math. And the math is so straightforward. But it's all this behavior and psychology that goes into your money. And then, of course, how do we instill that to our children as well? I also talk a lot about college. And it's the thing these days. And My son's at that age where he's curious about what college is. I think college is important, but it's like, I'm not like so diehard, you have to go. But I also don't want his grandmother, for example, to think he's a failure if he doesn't go to college because that's a different mindset that they had. He would feel that pressure if it's there. And so it's this weird thing of we're trying to play behavioral psychology more so than money at this point in time. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something we talk about a lot, just how there's two sides of money. There's the technical side and there's the emotional side. And it's that engagement piece that's really important that a lot of people haven't really focused on and haven't been raised to focus on. And I do think that's shifting. Robert, how long have you had the college investor in place for at this point? We've been doing it for 14 years. Wow. Crazy. That's a long time. Congratulations. It is. Thank you. One of the remarkable things that I think about when it comes to education and helping clients that I serve fund education for their children and grandchildren, because that's a very popular goal, is the cost of college education. Do you have an estimate of how much the average tuition has gone up in the 14 years you've had the business? Oh, man, I think it's doubled. I was just looking at the numbers today. We've been updating a lot of our stuff. It's literally doubled. And we just did this thing too about in-state versus out-of-state. So I went to an in-state school and so did my wife. And there is a two to four X premium now on going to these out-of-state schools per year. You multiply it with the fact that if you go out-of-state, you get less financial aid and all this stuff. And it's just, ah, they view students as customers. And I think this is the hard part. Even if you're a nonprofit state school, 
they're not non-revenue maximizing entities. They are there to maximize their revenue and they view out-of-state students as cash cows. They don't really care if you can't afford it or not. And I think people need to really change that mindset. So that's why as we have these conversations with my children, it's, I do think education is incredibly valuable, probably the most valuable tool that we have as a society. But college isn't education. College is a signaling tool to potential employers so that you hopefully boost your own personal revenue, i.e. your salary down the road. There's a lot of ways to get educated today and maybe college is the right answer. Maybe there's alternative paths. And looking at my path through Target, Target was very bureaucratic back in the day when I was there. And the only way you could become an assistant manager at Target is if you had a bachelor's degree. Just absolutely bonkers to me because the real skill set you needed to be an assistant manager had nothing to do with what you learn in college. And it really came down to leadership and could you talk to people and did you have some critical thinking and problem solving skills? But like they set this arbitrary barrier there to put people in this position, which as I was ending my time at Target, they were finally breaking that barrier and they were putting people in place that were more there. But I know a lot of organizations still do that. And so it's like, does everyone need a bachelor's degree? I don't think so. But there are some careers where you definitely need some specialized training and education. And then maybe the whole landscape looks different as well. I don't know what even five years from now holds. Everything's so changing quickly. But having these conversations with my children too is interesting because it's like, I just want the best for them. I think we all do as parents. I don't know if a four-year degree is necessarily the right tool or maybe the right tool at 18. I'm a big believer in a gap year potentially or going right to work. Because I also remind them that colleges will take your money at any age. <laughs> you don't have to like necessarily do it right at 18. They are the equal opportunity. <laughs> they are. People from that perspective. That's right. Exactly. I really appreciate what you're saying because we see this with our clients. Funding education is really important. And it's so interesting that our society has such high regard for educational institutions and with good reason. But you're right, there's a lot of different paths for people. One of the big misses that I see is that families fail to think about the college education as an investment and really thinking about what are the goals and objectives. Is it a social experience? Is it true academics? Is it a jumping point for a job? And if it is, what is that career profession that the student is trying to achieve? And is this school the best match for that? Here, here to that, some more conversations that go deeper than just what college do you want to go to? There's so much more. That's right. You nailed it. I mean, I sadly have become more of like an ROI only focus on college. I know that's not the only thing. I'm like 80% ROI. 5% social, 15%, like, is this going to get you to where you want to go kind of thing? Because to me, it is such an investment when there's so many alternatives out there. And just in the college space, you want to be a teacher or a doctor or anything, you could just go to a community college for two years, transfer to your state school and do this path for a significantly less money than other paths, maybe like a fancy private school with a brand name, and you get to the same goal. So to me, it's Really, ROI is the primary factor. And I think families really need to realize that. And especially when you see all the stats out there, a college graduate earns a million dollars more over their lifetime than a non-college graduate. That's an amazing stat. But we're also, if we want to go put our math hats on, 
that's a million dollars over 45 years. So we could net present value that to today. <laughs> I could give you a number that if you spend more than it's about sixty to eighty thousand dollars, your net present value becomes negative over the forty-five years of your life. You could have taken that same amount of money, invested it, and you would be better off. It's important, Robert. I'm glad you said that. And I think people are having more conversations about the idea of first two years doing something that doesn't cost so much money. And it's free in like half of the states these days. We definitely are minimizing all the other benefits you get. But I think it's important to have these conversations. And I also think it's important that we don't put these pressures on our kids that one size fits all. Dad went to a certain school, you have to go to a certain school or else you're a shame on the family or or something. But I talk to a lot of high schoolers every year and they feel that pressure. And I think we don't give them enough credit that more of them know the math than they allude to but they worry that auntie is going to think poorly of them at Thanksgiving dinner because they didn't do a certain path. And I think we need to make sure that they know like certain paths are great, do it. Because I also remind that everyone's judging everyone all the time. People judge me when I worked at Target. I love saying that too. Like, yeah, I still work at Target. Like when you're graduated college, you see a high school friend and they're like, what are you doing these days? Oh, I'm just, I'm just working at Target. It's all good. Like, <laughs> but people judge you. And I think they're going to continue to judge you. And so when you're buying your first house at 28, because you went like on a different path, they're going to, how did you do that? How were they able to afford a house? Well, they didn't see that you were spending less on college and working and side hustling and they don't see everything. So they will judge you and you have to be understanding of that. That's right. And that kind of brings us back to the values that you were talking about before and how you and your wife are very intentional about making decisions not based on what everybody else is thinking and seeing, but based on what's most important to you and your family, which is the goal that everybody should keep in mind. It's hard. I mean, you do have to get past that place of survival and then you can get to the next phase and like accumulate and then you can get to the next phase. And each one is going to have different value equations of what's important to you. I remember early on, it was like, how do we get debt free? Okay, can we side hustle? Can we earn a little more money? I was freelance writing as well while we were doing the college investor. It's very tie-in. If I write like four more articles, I could have $200 and we could just pay off our car loan this month or whatever it happened to be. And Then you get to a different place. You just keep moving through life. And I also think that we forget that. Just look back five years. I think all of our lives were so different than they are today. Like we would have never been on Zoom recording a podcast five years ago, but here we are today. And the same is true in our finances is that our whole world was so different. Everything's different. So like, what's five years going to be from now? It feels like forever, but it goes by fast. You're making me think of what I shared at the beginning of this conversation. (laughs) What would happen if we were all born with the most amount of money that we'll ever have in our lifetime and we have to distribute it out? You're right. There are different phases and money plays a different role in all of those phases and the decisions we have to make shift. Absolutely. Robert, tell us, what is your next money conversation going to be and who is it going to be with? It's fun because it's actually going to be with my daughter now. So she's the younger one. If you guys have young children, you know that you just accumulate stuff, like toys and everything. She wants to sell some of her old stuff and we're going to put her Barbie dream house on Facebook Marketplace this weekend and we're going to hopefully teach her and sell it. Oh, take advantage of that Barbie premium. Heck yeah. And She's trying to make some room, but she's also gets the money for it. 
she cleaned it all up, got it all organized, put all the accessories in a bag. And I'm going to take some pictures with her. We're going to try to sell that this weekend. And then she can really see through that process. But I think it's really fun to teach them that kind of thing because I'm a big believer. You're going to get new stuff. Let's sell the old stuff. There's ways to maximize what you have. Robert, just like your dad, you're not just having conversations, you're demonstrating. And I think it's really powerful, like getting her involved. That's the best way to learn. We can tell them or they can do it. And it's really great. Exactly. Robert, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? If you're interested more on college finances, we talk a lot about it at thecollegeinvestor.com. We also have a podcast, The College Investor Audio Show, or on your favorite video channel at The College Investor. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story and what you're doing with all of us on Money Tales. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.